This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. I'm Kim France. And I am Jen Romolini. And we have a fantastic guest for you today, Julie Lithcott-Hames. She blew both of our minds. She made one of us cry. Hysterically. But before, <laughs> but before we get to that, Jen, how are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm kind of like in a weird training because I just really started writing my book. So I'm in like a... You know, I'm in a total place of sobriety and like waking up early and trying to exercise and just trying to be like in that mode of I'm in training and I'm trying to make my brain work all the time. Um, But I'm also in that feeling of like, oh, am I just like one haircut away from self-esteem? Like I... Sometimes I'm just like, if I could just get a fucking haircut, I, all of the nothing else would bother me. So I'm I'm there too. But you're the one with the more interesting news. You just got back from a huge trip. I got back from a big trip, and you know I've been really reluctant to talk about my boyfriend or identify him because something really weird and stalkery happened with um, my ex and a woman who followed me. But. I, I couldn't talk about what I've been doing for the past couple of weeks without mentioning Paul. Um, he founded School of Rock. He left it about, I don't know, 10 years ago and started his own smaller thing. He, you know, he was CEO of all of these schools of rock, didn't get to do what he wanted to do anymore, which was teach kids. So now that's what he does. And he takes them out on tour um, this summer with the lead singer of Yes, John Anderson. So I was on the tour bus for two weeks, going to gigs and sleeping overnight on the bus and staying at Holiday Inn Expresses and raiding their snack rooms in the middle of the night and watching these incredibly talented kids perform. And it was like, I totally now understand why people who are rock stars or go out on tour are on drugs because you're never 
getting to sleep when you want to sleep and you're never getting to be up when you want to be up. And there's all sorts of serious like time killing that happens between when you load in your equipment and when the gig happens and, and drugs just makes that all easier. But, um, I, I had a really good time. I was super happy to get off the bus, but I had a really good time. And we should say School of Rock is, yes, it's that School of Rock. It's, yes, the Jack Black movie. It's, yes, School of Rock, right? Yes, <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah. yes. The Jack Black movie is based, at least in part, on my boyfriend. That's right. Who I've met and who I like very much. Hi, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening. Um, no, I'm really, I was really excited for you when you took this trip. Because also, it's just like, at this point in life, how often do we get to do something totally different and totally unexpected? Like being on a rock rock bus, rock tour bus with a bunch of children. Which, you didn't really say that, but there were children, right? Like- they were children. I mean, there were some, because they didn't get to tour last year, there were some kids who graduated from the program who got to tour this year, who were like 19 years old. Okay. But that was the oldest. I mean, they're kids. And they're amazing. I mean, they were just amazing and so funny. And they're all gay. Just incidentally, they're all gay. Yes, I know that. I know that. Well, there's more on the menu now. There's a lot more on the menu than there's when we were coming up. There's a lot more on the menu, and thank God for it, you know? But they just, they know who they are with the clarity that I did. You know, they obviously have a ways to go. They're kids, but they know, they're, they know who they are with the clarity I simply did not have as a 16, 17-year-old. No, I know. I mean, I know just my... My kids started middle school since you've been gone. And it's really intense to be around all these middle schoolers. It's like such Mm. crazy energy, but like, it feels so good. I hope that I always have kids in my life in some capacity because I feel like it is so valuable and the perspective is so valuable. Um, Yeah. No, it totally is. I mean, the first night I watched the kids backing up John Anderson I was like, this is so damn smart of John to do. Yeah. You know, rather than being on stage with a bunch of like middle-aged and older session musicians, like having these kids who just have, I really do feel like I feed off of them a little. Yeah, I know. It's, it can be a little parasitic, but, um, but you know, at the same time, it's good for them to be around older people too. I mean, that's, that's so funny because that's what we talked to Julie about. That's one of the things mm-hmm. we talked to Julie about was having just that community, that multi-generational community and and how how do we really become adults and who do we learn from and actually who we learn from can be surprising and just I look, I'm still shook. We just interviewed her <laughs> and I am still shook up. Um there's a question that she asks us to ask ourselves in this interview. Am I living the life I want to be living? And I'm going to be thinking about that for a really long time. Yep, yep, me too. I mean, I will say, and I think this is true of you too, that both of us are living the life we want to be living much more than we were 10 or 5 years ago even. Yes, I agree. I agree. And change and, you know, transformation, healing, all of that, it takes a lot out of you and it's hard to have perspective when you're in it. I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll look at like a picture from five years ago and be like, I don't even recognize myself. That doesn't Mm -hmm. even feel like me anymore, but you don't realize it as you're going through it. But I feel like what's going on with you right now is so exciting and sort of like you have so much of the like 
the bad shit behind you. And I feel like you're in a really good moment of just sort of enjoying the the fruits of whatever bullshit you had to go through. Do you know what I mean? You know, yes, and it's absolutely true. And the way I know it is true is that I'm terribly terrified that like I will die in a fiery car crash or Paul will. Like something, things are so good right now that I'm convinced that something horrible is right around the corner. Oh yeah, that you're that happy. Yes, I mm-hmm. know. <laughs> like well, we're gonna be driving on the BQE and suddenly our car is just gonna burst into flames. No, stop, stop. <laughs> just enjoy it. <laughs> I am, I am, I am. But I do have like dread sometimes. Like this, this is not like, at, you know, this is not the Kim France who I thought I knew. Why, how you so? Know? Happier, happier Kim France? Happier Kim France. Like, I, it's, I, I have a real, um, you know, my boyfriend has pointed some things out to me about how, you know, how skewed negative I can be sometimes. I think that's a defense mechanism. I think that cynicism is a defense mechanism. I think it is way harder to be earnest and to be open and to, I, I think that because, you know, we look at it, it's like, oh, it's foolish. It's blah, 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 blah. What it is, is it's vulnerable. Joy is, joy is a place of vulnerability, really. And I think that we're afraid because we're afraid that it makes us weak, but actually I think that it just makes us live better lives. I agree with you. I mean, I have always thought cynicism is the easiest way to be smart, the e- the easiest way to be funny, and not very gratifying. And it takes a lot more to to approach life with an open heart. Um, and I'm doing that. But you know, I, I it, it's one of the things I was thinking about when we were talking to Julie. Like learning to do something in your 40s or 50s or 60s is fucking harder than it is when you're younger. You know, well, it's you like if you've ever. Well, if you, if you ever watch a baby learning to walk, they fall down, they get up, they laugh, or a toddler, I guess. I don't, you know, you can tell right. I didn't have kids. I don't know when they start <laughs> <Fine>. walking. <laughs> but anyway, they, it's, a, it's not a horrible thing for them. They don't understand, like, and I have watched, like, adults learning to walk again. Right. After surgery or something happened. And that's, you know, it's, 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 it's demoralizing. And it, 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 it just it leaves a bigger mark on you. Well, because we have more of a sense of fear, of shame, of of the fear of falling down. I had a, I had a thing a couple of years ago. I was about to make a big life change and I kept falling. It was really fucking weird. <laughs> I kept falling. I kept really skinning this one knee to the point that it, like at one point I skinned it, it was like down to the bone and I just kept falling. And <laughs> I went to a bunch of different doctors and nobody could figure it out. And for a couple of years after that, I was like afraid walking around because I was afraid of having this huge pain. Mm. And I think that that's it. It is unburdening ourselves of the layers of fear, anxiety. It's everything we just talked about in this conversation, which we should just get into instead of teasing. <laughs> over <and> over. <laughs> yes, yes, let's get into it. It really is, you know, it, it isn't easy to listen to everything Julie's saying in this episode, but it is all fucking true. I agree, all fucking true. All right, let's get into it. Our guest today is Julie Lithcott Hames. Julie is the New York Times bestselling author of the anti-helicopter parenting manifesto, How to Raise an Adult. Her TED Talk on the harm of overparenting has more than 5 million views. 
Her second book is the critically acclaimed memoir, Real American, which illustrated her experience as a black and biracial person living in white spaces. Julie is a former corporate lawyer and Stanford Dean of Freshmen, and her most recent book, which we're gonna talk about a lot today, Your Turn, How to Be an Adult, was written for young people, but also is for sure required reading if you're like me and also, sorry, Kim, people who struggle with <laughs> adulting. Welcome, Julie. I just want to say I feel like you wrote this book for me. Um, I am so grateful to have it. I was raised by teenagers. I we I really missed out on a lot of I think the fundamental ways that we're supposed to be in the world, and I've lived with a lot of shame and anxiety because of it. So thank you for writing this book and thank you for being here today. Oh my goodness, Jennifer. I just want to hold space for what you just said. And um, I guess what I want to offer back is, first of all, gratitude to you and Kim and Devin for having me be a part of this podcast, but also gratitude that you decided to trust that this book, Your Turn, might in fact, be for you. And then now I'm feeling this awe and and um, and just delight that you, in fact, uh, found that it spoke to you, given what you just described about how you were raised, raised by teens, missed out on a lot of information about what what, you know, I needed to be prepared for in life. I mean, that's that's really I'm sorry that that's um, how you came up uh, and to the extent that that was hard. And I'm delighted you um, found something in this book that resonated. I think it resonates. I mean, it resonates enormously to me. And, and one of the reasons is because, as Jen mentioned, both of us struggle with being adults. But it, it all just feels like really solid advice, just whatever your age. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right, Kim. And that's because adulting isn't really as mysterious as we make it out to be. I define hmm. it as like the stage of life between childhood and death. If you survive childhood, um, you're an adult. Bingo, you're there. Um, and so it's um, it's simply the age and stage we arrive at where we're no longer primarily the responsibility of somebody else which is how childhood is supposed to go. If we have a childhood with parents who have the wherewithal to provide for us and care about and for us, and I know many of us don't, um, and so we have to grow up sooner, we have to adult sooner. Um, typically in childhood, we are the responsibility of someone else. In adulthood, we are more or less the responsibility of ourselves, which doesn't mean we have to go it alone, but does mean we're supposed to wake up and have this sense of like, it's on me. I'm responsible. I got to procure my shelter and my food and pay my bills and, and also be with the people I want to be with and do the work that feels rewarding and, and all of that. And I think I wrote this book in response to the generation saying, I don't want to adult. I can't adult. I'm scared to adult. You know, this is me very compassionately saying, I hear you and I'm here for you. And yet older people have said, I feel like you wrote this book for me, you know, which is the way Jen opened, mm -hmm. opened the podcast. And, um, I, I will say back that I think what the book does is it's like a mirror. 
you look into it, you see yourself where you will see yourself. In other words, somebody might really need the chapter on money. Somebody else might really need the chapter on don't be a perfectionist. Someone else might need the chapter on how to cope when the shit hits the fan or with the just the references throughout to mental health issues or um, to the fact that you yourself matters and it's not about what other people think. So I think everybody will take something different from it. I mean, that's the book I've tried to write. I also really liked, I saw you do a conversation with Peggy Orenstein in which you quoted the Mary Oliver poem, the title of which I don't know, but you talk about living your one wild and precious life, I think is the line. And I think that that also is such an important thing to have a sense of when you're young, because it's hard to. Which part is hard? That it's yours or that it's to, wild or that to it's own precious? the fact that you're, that, I mean, what always struck me about that line was that, you know, you're going to die. Mm. And so you better make use of your wild and precious life. And that mm. could be a misreading, but I thought, you know, that's a good thing for young people to know that life is in fact finite. Yeah. I, I appreciate that insight. Um, I think they don't appreciate that life is finite. And I think in me saying, quoting Mary Oliver, or tell me what is it you planted with your one wild and precious life. I am thinking that young people are not focusing on the finiteness, but on, I'm trying to entice them. I, I think when you're young, you, you know, immortality is, is how you feel. You, you, you feel immortal. You feel that life is boundless. You feel like it's entirely in front of you. You are just beginning. And so you are not, interested in or able to contemplate its end. So I think my offering, although I at 53 very much am appreciating the finiteness and really wanting to make sure I squeeze out every drop as I'm definitely on the second half of my life. um, I think for young people, I'm offering that it is wild, meaning untamed, meaning um, unexplored, yours to explore, um, and precious, meaning... Uh, rare, unique, beautiful, um, awe-inspiring. And I think the finiteness is something that will not dawn on them until they begin to lose people, they begin to, you know, experience their own physical or cognitive uh, challenges. So yeah, I think it's, I, I, as with, you know, I mean, I think that that poem is a terrific example of uh, it meets us where we are. Mm-hmm. I would also say, though, that part of this, like, I've always kind of lived like a sort of wild, unconventional life, right? And I think that part of what this book does, I had expected it to be all about like 401ks, right? Which is in there. But a lot of what's in here is about being an emotional grown up, things like accountability, listening to your own instincts, how to stop performing an identity. And I think that that part of being an emotional adult is what actually allows you to enjoy your wild and precious life. Because without that foundation, feeling unmoored and shaky and anxious and not taking care of your shit is actually what robs us of the joy of living, I think. Jen, I think that's beautiful. And in this sense, um, I'm trying to normalize that very um, fact um, that it is our emotional life, our emotional well-being, our emotional self-knowing 
um, our ability to, our interest in it, our ability to examine it and and work on it and know it. Um, I mean, that, that has everything to do with how we can show up in our lives to support ourselves and to be useful to others in relationship in the workplace. We are this incredibly complex thing, we human beings, and our emotional life is... Um, um, is is a mystery and um and yet entirely discernible and i think you're absolutely right that that's fundamentally what the book is offering the 401k stuff is in there my editor made me put it in there she said you can't write a book on adulting and not talk about 401ks and i was like who am i to write about 401ks she said figure it out um so i consulted my own financial advisor and got him to be the voice on the page to just try to break it down um i i do think in terms of what I'm trying to do, the the visual metaphor that keeps coming to me when I think of myself as the author of this book and you, the reader, I think I'm just trying to hold you by the hand and um, not to lead you, but to, to be with you, you know, to like, here's where we're going. You know, here's where it's hard. Um, watch out for this. Um, oh, wow. Look at that. You know, I'm I'm trying to be a companion and the interior emotional um um, inner stuff is is very much the realm in which I like to dwell. Yeah, there's so much mm. gentleness here too. It is a very gentle book, and not in a way that's condescending, but it is. There's gentleness to it, and there's kindness, and there's generosity. And I think that because of what I was talking about before, and I think I'm going to keep coming back to shame because I think that. There's so much shame in not knowing how to be an adult, especially once you are one, right? It's mm-hmm. just like, oh, fuck, why don't I, why do I, Kim and I were talking earlier about how both of us dissociate when somebody starts talking about like taxes, right? And it's like, you first think that, you first think that, that you're like, oh, I just am dumb. I just don't get it. But then you realize, no, this is big. This is bigger than me being dumb about this. This is fear. Mm-hmm. This is this is anxiety. This is shame. Shame that I don't know this already. And Julie, I, I think you really cover that well. I love. I just. I love that you said there's so much gentleness in this book because, frankly, the people I heard from right away were like, "I can't believe you swear in this book. This is so inappropriate." <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. Okay, fine. I swear because I. I swear in the book because I swear in real life and I write memoir and I'm, I write narrative nonfiction and I'm interested in the truth of our experience, not in the varnished performative, um, um, shell or mask of our experience. So there's, there are swear words in this book and, and there is a bluntness in this book and a frankness in this book. But frankly, I was going for gentle by deploying those tools of blunt, frank language. I'm trying to deliver not a hammer blow to the head, but, you know, I'm trying to crack the facades and and reveal, like, look, look, I'm trying to be actually gentle to your heart and spirit by cracking the facades. I, I don't know right. if that makes any sense, but um, but thank you for saying that you felt a gentleness. I, I felt it. Well, maybe because I, I, I like I like bluntness. So <laughs> I was I was very pleased with it. But. Anyway, what do you think? Like, I feel like emotionally, I'm pretty intelligent at this point. I'm 57. I've lived through some bad shit and had some experiences. So emotionally, I feel pretty intelligent. However, like when it comes to anything practical, 
I, I have no intelligence. And so I have to think that maybe I don't have the emotional intelligence I think I do if I get so easily thrown, like as Jen said, whenever somebody talks about taxes or 401ks and I don't hear anything. I just hear the teachers on peanuts going wah, 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 wah. What happens when part of you is emotionally intelligent and then the other part of you is so still caught in not being an adult? Well, I think what I'm hearing in you is a lot of self-judgment around, I don't understand taxes and finances or maybe money more broadly. Um, And I think it sounds like you are very self-aware in a lot of ways and you have a lot of emotional intelligence and you um, may be curious about like, why am I judging myself for not getting, you know, this financial stuff and see if you can bring a curiosity to that and you know, how can I, with my emotional intelligence, unpack what's going on for me uh, when I find myself kind of deer in the headlights when other people are talking about this air quotes important stuff? Look, Kim, a lot of people intuitively get taxes mm-hmm. and they get how money works. They get how money grows and they get what debt is and they get, you know, they get it. That's the language they speak. And uh, that good for them. Awesome for them. Many of us don't because it is if it doesn't come to you intuitively, it is rather mysterious. I mean, money is a is a concept humans invented. There are a whole lot of systems and rules around it. And it's, you know, it's it's not necessarily an intuitive thing for everybody. So I would say be kind to yourself around that. Use your emotional intelligence to unpack why you're judgmental toward yourself. Because remember, when you're judgmental toward yourself and when you're, you know, slogging, flogging yourself for not getting it and you start to tune it out, Part of that is anxiety is coming up. Like, I don't understand this. Why don't I understand this? I'm not an adult if I don't understand money. And what you want to be bringing is a self-regulated, you know, self to that. Like, okay, you know, let me breathe through this. Let me try not to feel shame. Let me, let me validate that I am feeling shame, but also, you know, tell myself, hey, you don't have to feel shame. And then, you know, maybe go find a book that breaks down money for for you know for those of us who don't get it and so you can begin to educate yourself a little bit so you feel less um you know like a total fish out of water or deer in the headlights when that conversation inevitably arises again even you just saying i should buy a book about it made me anxious <laughs> i know you're right, right? well totally, i don't mean like, should i, I only mean should because like, no, you're no, no. you're <laughs> saying i don't get it and i'm and it shuts me down and i feel but like there's probably Kim to be honest. Look, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a licensed <laughs> clinical anything. But you've got issues that are worth unpacking. Like there's some fear there. There's a reason you are like I can't deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. Like and if it were me, I'd be like, all right, Julie, what is the root of this? Because fundamentally, I'm trying to work out the knots, the mm-hmm. K N O T S, in my psyche that are there for a valid reason. I earned, you know, I got them. They are installed in me, but I, they are causing me pain and I need to kind of need them out, K-N-E-A-D, need them out. And um, so um, if if the thought of getting a book feels, you know, fills you with anxiety, don't do it. But But do be in conversation with somebody who can say like, okay, what, let's, let's try to figure out the why behind your, uh, your shame or your fear uh, around this. That's what's valid to me. Mm-hmm. I get that. Like you can hire I somebody mean- to do your taxes. Uh, you know, there are affordable places to go for help with, with the financial stuff. 
Um, so it's, I'm not here saying like, you need a greater financial literacy. I'm here saying, wow, money is an emotional thing for all of us. I mean, that's what my money chapter really leans into. Like, Hey, there are soundtracks playing in your head about money based on how your folks behaved around money. All Mm -hmm. the judgment, the rules, who did what was it, you know, who spent well, who spent, you know, poorly, who hoarded, who was, who, who was, um, you know, reckless with their money. Like all of that is, is playing in our hearts, our spirits when we think about money and we just got to get clear of that stuff, move through it so we can have a healthy relationship with money. Like we want to have a healthy relationship with people. Right. And now let's take a quick break for some ads. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule, essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Uh, Okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. And we're back. I want to change the direction just a little bit and ask you how 
has, how has what it means to be an adult changed since we were growing up? Yeah, boy, has it changed. Um, the, the standard definition of adulthood was five things in this order. Finish school, leave home. No, sorry. Finish school, get a job, leave home, marry and have children. And it harkens back to an era when everybody was presumed to be straight, when mm-hmm. it was presumed that women went from being the property of their fathers to being the property of their husbands and um, that children would come always. Um, And that's just not our reality anymore. We have choice. We can decide whether to be in relationship with somebody or not, whether to have children or not. We don't finish school anymore at 18 or 22 necessarily when we're going to live to be 90 or 100. We know that, you know, an ongoing education is is nourishing and important and allows us to level up our skills. You know, we don't, we might not be able to leave home if we live in the San Francisco Bay area or New York city and rents are, have completely outpaced salaries. Um, and, and a lot of millennials feel shame about that. Like, is it, am I not an adult? Cause I still live with my parents mm-hmm. and my response is you are absolutely possibly an adult still living with your parents. It's all about, it's not about where you live or with whom it's about how you behave where you live. And so that's, you know, our new normal is widening income inequality, which makes it hard for young people to kind of strike out on their own air quotes um, in the in the sort of heroic, fabled sense of the word that was possible in America up until the last couple of decades. Now you might need to live at home, but we want to be sure you're employed full time to the extent you can find work. And work is plentiful right now. So people ought to be you know, working and paying for their bills and and contributing to the home in, in, in which they live, even if it is their parents' home. The way to feel like an adult in the presence of your parents is to behave like one. And, and their attitude toward you should then shift from, okay, this isn't our teenager anymore. This is somebody, you know, we can respect as a contributor. Um, and then we can respect their freedom and their independence. So, I mean, I think of the five definitions, Kim, the one that still holds is you got to have a way to support yourself, you know, get a job is what it boils down to. But, you know, it's more complex than that. It's, you know, find yourself in community uh, such that you can earn, barter, share, contribute, co-op, whatever it is, you want to be pulling your own weight um, as well as assisting others when you can, um, largely pulling your own weight, meaning largely able to, to take care of yourself financially. If you can join your life with somebody else, you work out your own, your, your rules around who's going to pay for what. Um, but that's, that fundamentally comes to get, get a, boil down to agency. Like we want to know when we get up every morning that we can take care of business on behalf of ourselves. There's a psychological lift and joy that comes from knowing I've got this. I really appreciated everything you said about fending, um, which you mentioned very early in the book, because a friend of mine said when we were graduating college that they need to have a class that tells us the practical shit about what happens when you leave college. And it's all the stuff that you related. What do you wish kids were being taught right now that they're not being taught? 
I wish kids were being um, expected to do chores at home because doing chores teaches you a hell of a lot of things, including how to do the literal chore thing, but also the imperative of pitching in when you're part of a group, whether it's a family or a workplace or a set of roommates. Um, you know, you got to pitch in and chores teach you that. Um uh, you know, kids should should learn a thing or two about finances and how money works in high school, but they should also learn um, about transportation, whether it's your car, your bicycle or public transportation. Um, they they got to learn how to utilize it and how to stay up on it and how to repair it when it breaks, if it's a bike or a, or a car. Um, not to be the mechanic, but to know enough to get yourself to the mechanic. Um, they need to know how to buy food and, and budget, and but, but also look after their food and not let the avocados uh, get brown too quickly or not have the bread get moldy. Like to, you know, how to cook things. Um, it, the basics are body, bills, belongings, uh, self-care. You know, what is it that you need to be doing around your teeth and your your medical care. You should be making your own doctor's appointments in your teenage years. I mean, what we're what we're really alluding to here is the extent to which overparenting, which is endemic in many communities, has led to young people emerging out of childhood not knowing how to make a phone call, how to make a doctor's appointment, how to go grocery shopping, how to plan a meal, because they've never had to. And then they are bewildered in their young adulthood and they're flapping about like like fish out of water flopping on the dock because they're just desperately uncomfortable um, in this environment. And it, to any parent listening, I want you to be asking yourself, okay, what am I going to do with my eight-year-old, 12-year-old, 15-year-old to try to ensure that they don't feel lost and helpless in their young adulthood because we've done everything for them, but rather they feel served toward that, that time of life being successful because we have taught them stuff. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's how I first discovered you, how to raise an adult, because I was like, oh my God, I'm still cutting my, my kid's food and like, I'm doing everything for my kid. And I picked up your book and I was like, holy shit, I got to stop this. <laughs> like, I really, I got to stop coddling this child because um, I'm doing this child no favors, even though it's actually easier for me to just do it than to have to communicate to them and get into the whole thing with them. And you have to do this. It's actually more convenient for me to just do it. It's not actually, you know, it's actually a pain in the ass sometimes to teach kids how to do stuff because, you know, they want to be on screens, they want to be this, and having to push through that discomfort for yourself and also the inconvenience often of, of spending the time to teach them or have them, you know, buy the subway tickets or whatever it is, you know? Jen, look, I wrote the book I needed to read. That first book we're alluding hmm. to, How to Raise an Adult. I, as you know, I sort of admit in that book that I'm against helicopter parenting because I've seen it, the impacts of it as a college dean. But, oh, I'm cutting the meat of my own child. I realize, right. oh, shit, I'm going to be a helicopter. I am a helicopter parent. Um, so please know that I am not judging, but I'm saying, like, look what we are doing. It's harming our kids. I've seen it, and I'm trying to stop doing it, too. And I'm going to also say, of course you can do it. Of course you can cut the meat without cutting your fingers. Of course you can stack the dishwasher perfectly. Of course you can cross the street safely. You're a grown-up. And and it we have to all the grown-ups listening like we have to resist the temptation to just carry our children on our shoulders through their lives because at some point we'll be dead and gone and then they will <laughs> not know how to stand or cross a street or cut their meat. And we have completely we've we've let this sort of hurry up, let's go mentality um, undermine our 
biological imperative, which is to teach these kids everything they need to know. And they only learn by doing. And that's really it. It's because it's more expedient. It's actually, there's nothing else about it. It's like, oh God, okay, I'll tie your shoes for you. Fine. You know, it's like, because you're just, because we're all rushing and we're all like, oh, okay, well, I'll just do it because it's faster. And then there's seven and you're tying their shoes or eight. And, and, you know, at some point it's ridiculous in the old sense of the word ridiculous. And at some point it's embarrassing because you've got a human who, again, barring significant special needs, you know, is aided and attended by you around tasks they ought to be able to do for themselves. And they wanted to have learned to do for themselves when they were younger, you know? Yeah. And now they're sort of complacent, like, oh, yeah, my mom always ties my shoes. Yeah, no, it's horrible. It's disgusting. It's like, it's really, it's really bad. I mean, and I perpetuate it still, but I'm trying to get better. Um, I, one thing I really think is important about this book, and I've heard you talk about is, um, And I think this is important, especially for our audience. You talked about how you wanted to be generationally humble. And I think that, you know, this is a podcast for women in in midlife beyond. And I think that one thing that really trips us up as we get older is like, oh, I have all this experience and I want to like spout it out in the world. And I, I think that being generationally humble it helps us keep doing the work we love, stay relevant. Can you talk about why you made that decision and, and what it means to be generationally humble in, in your eyes? Yeah. I think the first thing, well, a lot of things are coming to mind. Um, climate change is very much on my mind right now. I live in California and the fires that are approaching Lake Tahoe are just devastating. And I've been talking a lot lately about how we all saw this coming. We were warned by the experts decades and decades and decades ago, and nobody really paid attention or not enough attention. And and people still don't get it. And, you know, we seem to lack a collective will to do anything to save ourselves as a society. Like, what does it even mean? And so I think I'm saying that because my millennial slash Gen Z, he's right on the cusp, son was like, I am the generation that was born at the tail end of when we could do something about it, but our entire life will be um, living with the effects of not having done it, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's mad. I mean, that's what it boils down to. And they should be mad. Like Greta Thunberg and her entire generation, my children included, should be mad to the hilt at all of us who came before. And... Um, Because we have failed to provide a planet, a society that they can safely and joyfully inhabit. We have overexploited our resources and our children will pay that price. And so generationally, it does not behoove us Gen X, boomers above us, the so-called greatest above them. Like, stop. Like, we do not know more. Our age and stage has given us wisdom about how to do things and what really matters, but we do not have the moral authority here. And so that's one reason I'm preaching generational humility. Like I say in the book, I know how it takes a lot of gall for somebody older than you to tell you to try to make the world a better place in the chapter where I focus on, you know, you know, let's, let's, let's turn from inward self-care to like outward care for the community and society. 
And I wanted to admit that so that I had credibility with my reader because I didn't want my my reader to be like, okay, Gen X, like, fine. Yeah, we should go make a difference when you fucked everything up. Right. Um, (laughs) So so that's one thing. The other thing is when we age, all we have, we, we tend to fall back on our stories like. You know, our our elders are constantly telling stories about the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. And we're like, oh, my God, this was so long ago. So, but that's how they stay relevant. You know, that's what they remember. That's they, they want to say, look, I still matter. Like, here's what we did. Here's what I did. And and it's it's what happens cognitively. I think the long term memory is often there, whereas the the short term isn't. Um, and and yet um, it's not the most graceful way to age. You know, I think. What we want to be doing is, um, is, is welcoming younger people into this thing called community and society, validating their energy, their facility with technology, with ideas, with identity, with, with problem solving. We need to be you know, less genera- generationally hierarchical as a matter of who matters more and instead see ourselves as a human community where we all have different things to offer. I, I could not agree more and, you know, validating their point of view and validating their opinions and we don't know more than them. I mean, I I worked a job a couple of years ago where my entire staff was about 20 years younger than me. I mean, I, I could have been all of their mom, basically. I mean, biologically, I could. And I had to learn really fast that I was not going to be an effective leader if I was doing a top-down management, I am only I know the best. I've been doing this for so long because there's so much I realized very quickly I wasn't a digital native. Uh, there's so much I didn't know. There was no way I was going to be up on, and this was like a site that was like, you know, running stories about trends. There was no way I was going to stay up on trends, but I had a lot to offer. So I needed to let my ego go and let them show me how to do things and sit back and listen more than I was talking. And it was a very humbling experience, but it's it's taught me quite a bit. And I try to live like that because I think that I think it just makes you like old and closed. It kind of like shuts down your life, you know? Absolutely. It is definitely a one-way street. Uh, once you head down it, you really, there is no turning back. Um, I love that you shared that example. And I too will say um, at 53, um, I find myself uh, feeling a little bewildered by some of the, by by uh, the language of memes. And when I say language, I mean not just the literal language and the funny thing, but like how memes evolve. And so you get this sort of, this is a derivation of that meme, which is a derivation of that meme, which is a derivation of that meme. And a Gen Zer can look at the fourth one and, and see in it all the preceding stuff. And I look at the fourth one and have, because I've missed one, two, three, I don't know what the fourth one means. And I find myself, you know, thinking, all right, in my work, for example, I should be on TikTok because that's where young people are. And if I'm trying to find them around this book, your turn, how to be an adult, I need to be on TikTok. And yet I don't know tick, like, what am I going to do on TikTok? So what did I do? I hired and paid a high school intern to tell, teach me about TikTok, recommend to me how to show up on TikTok. And that was one of the best things that I did. And in my conversations with her and the person on my team who managed her is a 26 year old millennial, young millennial, um, I was really, I didn't take a top-down approach. I took a teach-me approach. 
I yeah. took a, mm-hmm. I have some goals like, yes, I'm the one who's running this business and there's so much I don't know. I need your advice and guidance. And I think, frankly, what I need to do a better job is tell me if I'm about to do something stupid. Because, yes. for example, I had this idea like there should be a playlist for your turn. We should have all these adulting songs. And I was like pulling out songs from my memory bank. And finally, <laughs> my 26-year-old colleague was like, I have not heard any of these songs, right? And this book is for me and my generation. And I was like, oh, yes, yes. And my ego was like, ouch. But then, you know, I was, you know, I can do that work and say like, okay, ego, yeah, ouch. That's a little embarrassing. But thank God she said something. And lean into that. No, I was just going to say, it's like, it's such a baller move to acknowledge what you don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. I really think that. I love I think, that. I have never believed, for the most part, in the whole idea of faking it till you make it. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I think I say that somewhere in the book, um, that fake it till you make it is a uh, 100% proven path to adulting. Um, it <laughs> is. Yeah, I get it. I think people who study cognition would say that. Like, you you know, you, you go through the motions, i.e. fake it, until you actually feel a volitional confidence that I know what I'm doing. The the you prove to yourself that you do know what you're doing by trying it even though you don't know what you're doing. And that's look, I there's a beautiful quote by the the musician Amanda Palmer who my husband adores. Um she says something like um uh the professionals know they're winging it, the amateurs pretend they're not. And we do mm-hmm. reach a point of competence around like Everything is chaos. I'm in charge of hardly anything but myself. You know, I'm winging it here, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show up with kindness. I'm going to show up with an intention to learn. I'm going to show up with some humility and curiosity about learning. I don't have to prove. I don't have to brag. I don't have to be the best. Like, I realize I'm just a human here and I'm going to do my best. We get to that place, which feels like a psychological nirvana, frankly, because there's a lot of relief and cutting ourselves slack that's embedded in the, hey, you know, just just fake it till you make it. This isn't about... Uh, you're being perfect at anything. This is about effort and kindness. I mean, that's, I think, at the end of the day, what the book boils down to is like, try hard as often as possible and be kind and really trust that the rest will flow from that. What do you do? I mean, I think that that is a, it's a easier attitude to have at 25 than it is at 45 or 55, just because your, your tires have treads on them and you've seen how things work. Um, do you find that, do you find that that notion of like faking it till you make it is more difficult in middle age? No, I find the opposite actually. I think, um, because we've got more evidence from our 45 years of life or 55 years of life that we have in fact made it this far. Uh, Everything we've done becomes evidence of what we now can still do. Um, so I do think it's the opposite. Mm. Yeah, I, I think... Something, so in this book, you know, there's a whole thing about finding your voice and listening to it. I do think in middle age, sometimes on the other side of parenthood or, you know, you're dealing with fear, burnout, irrelevance, ageism, it feels like sometimes a second adolescence where we can feel shaky and we need to rediscover our voices. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, I, I, I wonder if you have any advice for midlife, people in midlife who have lost their path. Because I think this happens a lot. 
I'm going to come at it slightly differently. Um, I have had three careers so far, law, higher ed administration, and writing uh, books and speaking about them. And um, some people regard that as a reinvention of myself. And every time I hear that, I kind of chafe and try to correct them because to me, reinvention implies start from scratch, do over. Whereas I think of it as continually excavating the self um, from whatever the self is hiding behind or continually um, polishing the pieces of me that I'm uh, most excited to dwell within. You know, I'm, I'm, so it's, to me, it's like a continual knowing is possible and a continual, I mean, the brave act is giving yourself permission to be that self that others may have scoffed about when you were 18 or 15 or 25, you know, oh, you don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, we don't do that. Right. Oh, that's not practical. Or how much money are you going to make with that? Like all of those messages in our heads when we're young often dictate the first set of paths we take. And so I think what is available to us in mid age is, you know, you're, you're, you're actually leading your own life and you ought to be continually asking, what is it I want it to be? And, and it can feel shaky because there is certainty on the, on the beaten path, the path, quote unquote, everyone takes, you know, there's a lot of people on that path. So it looks safe and it looks smart because everyone's doing it. But often everybody is acting like a lemming following everybody else toward, you know, whatever uh, other people value, which turns out not to be what you wanted to do with your wild and precious life at all. So then you're in this shaky, like, who am I? What do I really want? And I think when we are feeling that shakiness, that's when we have to say to ourselves, hey, self, what's at the root of this shake? Like, what is it that you, what is it that we want? What would we do if nobody else was judging? What would we do if nobody else's opinion mattered? The self will answer that question for you. And then the bravest act is to say, I hear you. Okay. What would that take? What would I want to do in furtherance of that? Like to honor what you hear the self saying. Um, So that's, I think the great offering of middle age. It's like to hell with them to hell with them and to hell with them and to hell with them. I have raised my children. I've established myself somewhat. I am, I am, you know, in a financial situation where I am, you know, I, I hope I am relatively independent. You know, it doesn't mean I'm a millionaire. doesn't mean I'm rich, but like I'm paying my bills. I am looking, taking care of business. And now what, what, what brings me joy? Like I have a dear friend from college, Lindsay, who went to law school and worked at a high-end law firm and then um, went into, you know, different, you know, specialized within law and then raised kids. And then at 50 said, I, I want to serve differently. She went to law to serve people, to help, to hold, to heal and did. But it was in estate planning. You know, that was her way of being close to people through law. Like, let me help you plan your end of life issues. She went back to school and became a registered nurse. Wow. She's 53. She's actually just turned 54. And she went back to school at 50 and did the hard, hard work of becoming a nurse. And there's so many people who'd be like, why are you a nurse? Don't you want to go for it? Go for it all and be a doctor? I mean, there's a sense of hierarchy that somehow a nurse is below a doctor. And Lindsay would be the first to say, a nurse holds your hand when you're in pain. And how many doctors are doing that today? Like she wants to show up with profound care and concern with all her intellectual brilliance and her heart that is just full of gold and support humans who are suffering. 
And that is a calling that she was only able to hear in the time of life that we call middle age. And you can hear the tears in my voice as I think of my college roommate, you know, who nobody would have said when we were 20 would be, should be, ought to be a nurse. I have never seen her more sure of herself. Yeah. Yeah. Service comes up a lot in this podcast. Service comes up a lot at this stage of life. How do we be in community? How do we serve? Yeah. That's really amazing. That's awesome. And let me just offer the clues because when people are like, but how do I know? Like, I don't, Lindsay knew she wanted to be a nurse. Well, you know, I don't know what I want to be. Some of your listeners are thinking, but I don't have that clarity. And here's what I'm going to say. I'm not sure Lindsay knew that she wanted to be a nurse, but Lindsay knew she needed to take herself to Haiti following an earthquake a decade ago and just show up and try to help. And I think it was that experience supporting struggling people um, experiencing a complete devastation that started to trigger for her something like, am I living the life I want to be living? Okay, maybe not. Maybe I'm not doing, you know, and that's what led her to deeper questioning of the self. And that's what led her to nursing school and to the practice she now has as a nurse in rural places in New Hampshire, um, supporting people who have been you know, abandoned by society and left to their own devices. And, and Lindsay is showing up for them. And I think for each of us that deeper, that when we can be brave and ask ourselves the ever, you know, the the never ending question, why, you know, why is it that I'm interested in this? Why does that matter to me? Why, you know, get to the nugget that is your, you know, your inner soul self saying, this is why I'm on the planet. I am good at these things. I don't care if other people don't value it. I know this is why I'm here. And that is the, you know, the deepest message of your turn and the resonance with Mary Oliver around the wild and precious life. And I think it is available to all of us, regardless of socioeconomic status, Regardless of education level, I don't think this is a concept only available to the privileged. I think it is available to those who dare to say what I want out of this life matters more than other people's opinions of what my life should be. How how do you get there? I mean, you've talked a lot about, you know, exploring and looking for the nugget, but how do you take those first steps? I do think the questions, Kim, that we can ask ourselves, first of all, and we talk about this some in the book, um, you know, how do you tap into what that inner self wants? You've got to be in a quiet situation. That quiet could be the pounding hot water of a shower where you, it's just you and your, your thoughts. Um, it could be a run uh, where you're not listening to music, but you're just with your own thoughts. It could be a walk in nature. It could be journaling. Um, it could be, um, you know, lying on your bed, uh, you know, and staring at the stars through the window. It could be, it requires some solitude to, to be with the self requires a separation from all of the distractions. And then you start to ask yourself these questions like, what do I really want out of this life? What, what, if, if nobody was judging, what would I do for work? Um, you know, I've always wanted to fill in the blank. You're prompting, you're trying to give yourself, your psyche, little prompts. Um, and and then you want to be curious about the answers that come. And you want to take a design thinking brainstorm mindset, which is don't judge the answers that come. This is getting back to our emotional interior life. Like, don't be that self-sabotager 
um, where you, you have an idea and your own self says, no, that's dumb. Like, stop, you know, just see if you can't be kind and curious about your innermost thoughts. They will come um, if you make space for them and you lovingly invite them. Hmm. Julie, I am, I am, I'm knocked out by this. I am, (laughs) I am really knocked out. Thank you so much for this. Um, where can people find you? Because I know they're going to want to find you after this. Jen, thank you. And I'm sort of hearing the um, the response over the Ethernet, through the wires, across <laughs> the time zones. I appreciate it. Um, and you too, Kim, of course. Um, I am very active on social. Uh, so I am Jay Lithcott Hames, wherever social media is happening, including TikTok. So that's my first initial last name without the hyphen. Jay Lithcott Hames everywhere. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse. Um, my website is julielithcotthames.com, no hyphen. And um, I have a newsletter that you can sign up for. You know, I try to dwell in this space of we are flawed. We are um, fearful. We yearn. We want, we dream, and the truth of our lived experience um, is what fascinates me and what I constantly try to aim toward, you know, holding folks by the hand, um, helping them walk toward what they want their lives to be. That is my work, Um, and it comes out in different forms, and if you dig any of this, please follow me, check out my books, uh, check out my TED Talk, Uh, please, please be in community with me. I do try to engage folks when they engage me on social. So please find me there. This has been just great. Really inspiring. It's been great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Julie. Julie. Thanks for having me. Appreciate y'all. And thanks to everyone who chose to spend this time with us listening. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please do us a favor and rate and review it on the platforms, on all the platforms or on the one you're listening to. It really helps us build audience. If you'd like to get bonus episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon. It is patreon.com backslash everything is fine. You can find us on Instagram at EIF podcast. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook, and you can find Kim at her blog, Girls of a Certain Age. Oh, and if you want to email us, we do have an email address. It is everythingisfinethepodcast at gmail.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 